This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. Contract talks between the union representing bus drivers and the Coast Mountain Bus Company broke down this afternoon. And that's made job action tomorrow morning almost a certainty. Jill Bennett is live in Vancouver with the latest. And Jill, they're not talking and that could have a big impact on commuters tomorrow. Sophie, starting at 8 a.m. tomorrow morning, there will be a ban on wearing uniforms for bus drivers, as well an overtime ban for maintenance workers will go into place. So while those talks have broken down and the two sides are very far apart, what they do agree on is that action will lead to service disruptions. For anyone who depends on transit to get around, any service disruption means having to have a plan B. I think I'm going to take like an alternative route to school. Probably just will take a few trains instead of a bus and then a train. I take transit every day, so it will, it will affect everything. Take taxis more often. Don't want to, but... Starting Friday, the first phase of job action will begin. Transit operators will not be wearing their uniforms, and there will be a ban on overtime. Transit users will see a maintenance uh, and CBUS uh, overtime ban commence that will have a very quick impact on the service, not as wide scale as if the operators were going to move to an overtime ban. Talks between the two sides broke down. The union says it became clear they were too far apart on issues, including wages and working conditions. They made no attempt to address competitive issues such as why is mechanics at SkyTrain paid more than people who fix Coast Mountain Bus Company, both working under TransLink. But most importantly, they made no changes at all to the working condition language that had already been rejected by the union. Under our current offer, maintenance trades would see wage increases of more than 12% over four years. Transit operators would see wage increases of nearly 10% over four years. The company says better benefits have also been offered, but the union argues transit operators in other cities, such as Toronto, make about $3 an hour more. As for the strike, transit users are being told to brace for a long one. We're prepared to wait this out, and if that means six months, nine months, a year, uh, that's what we're going to do, and we're going to make sure that we get that fair contract. Enough is enough. So not what transit users wanted to hear today. The union does say for now job action will be focused on buses and C-bus. So it's impossible to know which routes could be affected. Buses that need maintenance or repairs could be pulled from service if they don't get those. As for an escalation in job action, the union says transit users will get plenty of notice if that happens. Chris, Sophie, back to you. All right, thanks for that. Jill Bennett reporting. Transit police say the suspect in that violent outburst on board a bus earlier this week has been apprehended, but they will not be releasing his identity. The video was recorded Tuesday afternoon in Burnaby, the passenger kicking the door a number of times before spitting on the bus driver and walking out. This morning, 
Burnaby RCMP identified and apprehended the man under the Mental Health Act on an unrelated matter. Transit police continue to investigate, but police say they will not be releasing further information given the medical circumstances surrounding the file. More frustration tonight from drivers who thought their record on the road would save them from rate hikes at ICBC. The company promised measures to put out its dumpster fire would target bad drivers. But as Jordan Armstrong reports tonight, one recent renewal is raising questions about how they classify good drivers. No at-fault accidents, 14 years safe driving. Lisa Wagner thought for sure she'd pay less for car insurance this year. She was wrong. Almost $400 increase. $400 more this year. Mm -hmm. So it went up in the third party life. Tough to afford for this full-time student working two jobs to make ends meet. $376 increase. I was surprised and kind of confused as to how such a huge increase could happen, considering that previous years I hadn't seen that much of an increase. So what's behind Wagner's insurance sticker shock? About a third of that is on her basic insurance and two thirds of that on the optional side. Yes, those rates are up, basic about 6%. But when it comes to discounts, you might not be aware that the goalposts have moved. Here's how the new structure works. Drivers will get a 43% discount after 15 years of safe driving experience. Previously, it was nine. So drivers with between nine and 14 years will pay a lower discount when they go to renew. Now, it is possible to achieve a 52% discount, but that takes 40 years of safe driving experience. You see, the remaining 9% is spread over the remaining 25 years. And what that means is if you start driving when you're 16 years old today, you will be 56 before you get ICBC's full discount. Uh, and it's made it much more difficult for drivers to get there. Why didn't they tell me that to begin with? Why wasn't that explained to me? The minister concedes some good drivers are in for a surprise. We're working on things uh, uh, continuously to lower rates for British Columbians and we'll be introducing measures uh, over the uh, months and years to come uh, to lower rates. Yep. Sure, I'll believe it when I see it. A good driver who feels burned by the scorching heat of ICBC's dumpster fire. Jordan Armstrong, Global News. Some concerning new crime statistics released by Surrey RCMP today adding fuel to the debate over policing in that city. The numbers show a rise in both violent crime and property crime. And while Mayor Doug McCallum says it highlights the need for Surrey to have its own force, Aaron MacArthur explains why opponents place the blame squarely on the city. Over the last three months, there has been a shooting in Surrey roughly every six days. Crime statistics for the most recent quarter are out. A snapshot of crime but valuable to the RCMP to see what's happening where. It's not done to generate fear. We do this because it's an important part of engaging with the community. Uh, public safety isn't something that falls to police alone. We actually rely heavily on the public and other um, you know, organizations to do the job of keeping Surrey safe. In the last quarter, violent crime spiked 5%, with five murders and 14 calls for shots fired. And while property crime in general was up 10%, there were 72% more robberies than last quarter. Surrey Mayor Doug McCallum writing in a statement, RCMP officers are doing the best job they can, but it's clear from our citizens that Surrey would benefit from having its own police force. 
and continues to urge the Solicitor General to make this a top priority. I understand uh, the mayor's position. Uh, we've met a number of times. Uh, that's one of the reasons why this committee was uh, put in place, uh, to do the work that needs to be done, to do it expeditiously, and I think that they are, they are doing a, a good job. Councillor Linda Anna says if the mayor would only approve the number of officers promised to the RCMP, none of this would be an issue. We shouldn't be changing the badges for the sake of changing badges. In the end of the day, we have to have a good policing plan. What we need to do is take the opportunity right now and give the RCMP the 300 members that they're requesting. Surrey RCMP say the crime stats are actually in line with other cities in the region. But even the smallest change, fodder for the ongoing controversy over the future of policing in B.C.'s second largest city. Aaron MacArthur, Global News. New numbers show the government has fallen far short of its affordable housing targets and that set off a bit of a firestorm in question period today. Keith Baldry is live in Victoria with a closer look at what we're talking about here. Keith? Yeah, one of the more ambitious and loftier promises the NDP made in the last election campaign was the pledge to build more than 110,000 housing units over the next few years. Well, the B.C. Liberals got their hands on a quarterly update of the Affordable Housing Investment Plan, and decidedly, I think it's a mixed bag of results, and it touched off some fireworks in the legislature. But first of all, I'm going to throw some numbers at you. Uh, the good news, 6,700 units have been approved, but there's no funding yet in place to actually build them. And just 5% of the, one of the biggest parts of the plan, 1.7%, $7 billion community housing fund has been allocated for projects. Good news, almost 2,300 units have been completed in terms of uh, housing. There we go. And also uh, in terms of rental, which is a big problem, of course, for people, just 71 rental units completed so far. And that was the basis of, uh, basis of a rather spirited exchange between uh, B.C. Liberal MLA Jane Thornwaite and B.C.'s Housing Minister Selena Robinson in House today. Mr. Speaker, it's quite clear that the minister doesn't have a handle on this file. The answer to my question is 71. Not 71%, but 71 actual units. After two years of this government, the NDP has built only 71 units on the entire province. At this rate, it's going to take 100 years for you to fulfill your campaign promises. When I talk with the thousands of people that we have moved into supportive housing, Honourable Speaker, when I talk to the women who are moving into safe and secure housing, Honourable Speaker, Members. when I talk to the young children who now have a safe place that their parents can afford, Honourable Speaker, they're the ones that remind all of us how critical it is to have housing that people can afford. And we're continuing to deliver on our commitments to have housing that people can afford in this province. I talked to Selena Robinson, the housing minister, outside of the chamber, and she says, look, this is uh, early days, this report's a few months old, uh, that the numbers continue to be positive uh, as each day goes along. But clearly, 114,000 is a pretty big target, and I think this report uh, provides some skepticism whether or not they're going to be able to meet that target by the time the next face is electorate in the fall of 2021. Still, a lot of numbers have to go by before that mm -hmm. target is achieved. Absolutely. All right. Thanks for that, Keith. The plan was for Tang to continue on to the West Lion and on to Cypress Bowl, where his friend would pick him up. But somewhere along the way, Tang got lost. Actually, I have been there before, but I just saw there are lots of the kind of like ice covers on the, the roots. So I just missed, I just got a mistake and I just got the wrong way. He had managed to work his way south from Unnecessary Mountain, past St. Mark's, to Lemke Creek, which is getting close towards coming out towards Cypress Bowl. 
And when he had got to that location, he'd, he'd lost his way and he'd gone into a drainage. Lions Bay Search and Rescue Manager Martin Caldwell says the young man kept on moving, which is not what rescuers recommend. When they keep moving, then you're not even sure if you're at the right place because he may have moved away from you while you're moving towards them. And so you have no new information. That's why the response was so big. Five rescue agencies, Mission, Squamish, Surrey, Lions Bay and North Shore Rescue. Over 40 searchers in the field. In the end, Tang made his way down a ravine to a logging road where he was spotted by a work crew. The lesson here? Stay put. Stay where you are. And don't set out unprepared, no matter how much you think you know the terrain. In Tang's case... He was very, very lucky. See ya. Thank you so much. Okay. See you tomorrow. Bye. Nadia Stork, Global News. All right. We know it's Halloween, but just a heads up, if you're thinking ahead to the holidays and New Year's Eve, this year there will be no New Year's Eve celebration down at Canada Place, as there has been in years past. But next year, when we welcome in 2021, the celebration will be relocated. Today, the Vancouver New Year's Eve Celebration Society announced its plans to take the annual Concord New Year's Eve Vancouver countdown to a new location in downtown Vancouver. So on December 31st, 2020, the celebration will debut at Concord Pacific Place and East False Creek, the area between the Camby Street Bridge and Science World. Further details, of course, are expected later next year. Now to Halloween and another spooktacular haunted house raising money for a very good cause. We love this one, and that's where Yvonne Shell is right now at Vicki Ayer's haunted house in Coquitlam. Vicki is amazing. Yvonne, how's it looking tonight? Oh, fantastic. We're just starting to see a few kids uh, coming out right now. And yes, we're with the Ayers family. Uh, this is Vicky, Lucille, and Barry. They do a great job. Now you're in your 20th year, Vicky. Yes. Uh, tell us about the success of the haunted house and what your goal is, because all the money goes towards variety. Your goal is. <laughs> Her goal, $10,000 we're hoping for. And uh, Vicky so far has raised in the 20 years this year, it'll be $113,000 that she's raised. And every cent goes to Variety for helping BC Special Kids. You guys have lots of decorations. You've got a haunted house and it's all by donation. And a lot of people help put this haunted house together for you guys. Well, uh, Matt... He does all the lights. Uh, Danny is over here. He helps. Everyone helps. We have a lot of regulars that come yeah. by. We're very fortunate. A of, yeah. A yeah. lot of neighbor kids, young yes. kids helping us. Oh, yeah, and it's great. And we wanted to advertise this is the 20th year, but next year is going to be your final year putting on the Haunted House. So we want to make sure that people yes. are going to be able to come out to the event. Yes, exactly. Final year. Yay, 21 years. Can I say something? I want to say thank you to everyone who's watching on TV. Next Halloween is our last one. Go www.kukudamhouse.com. Make donation. If you're on Facebook, also say yes. We love you guys, and we'll miss you guys. Excellent. All right. You guys are busy. The kids are going to start to make their way out. We're going to have your Halloween forecast coming up very shortly. Thank you so much for doing this every year. We'll have more from the Haunted House coming up very shortly. Back to you guys. Oh, love the beer can costume. Thank you very much, Yvonne. <laughs> you got to respect the guy who dresses up like a can of beer. <laughs>
All right, a reminder, as you eat all those amazing treats tonight, save the wrappers because one company is offering to recycle them all. We already have a big mound of them in the news. <laughs> That's true. London Drugs launching their second annual Halloween candy wrapper collection drive in B.C., hoping that instead of put, putting those wrappers in the trash, customers will bring them to a London Drugs location instead. Last year, more than 12 million pounds of Halloween waste was saved from the landfill. A Vancouver Island man is facing an animal cruelty charge accused of essentially leaving a one-year-old German shepherd to die in the woods. Kylie Stanton has the disturbing details as well as the dog's remarkable recovery. Sit. Good girl. Shake a ball. For a dog, every day is Halloween. They do their tricks. High five. Had a girl. And get their treats. But for Hope, a one-and-a-half-year-old German shepherd, the fact she's even here to learn these skills... Stay. Nope. is an accomplishment in itself. I try not to think about it, but when it is brought up, it's... I, I just don't understand. This was Hope when she was rescued in May of this year. Her head severely swollen, suffering from emaciation, dehydration, extreme muscle wasting, and a deep neck wound. When she was found, she was tied so close to the tree with um, a cable that uh, she couldn't lie down. It really is a miracle that she survived given the extent of her injuries. The dog was stabilized at a Duncan veterinary clinic before being transferred to Waves in Langford, a specialized emergency care facility. At the same time, the BCSPCA launched an investigation. Kevin Timothy of Shemanus has now been charged with animal cruelty. He could face as a maximum up to two years in jail, up to a $75,000 fine, and up to a lifetime ban on owning animals. It won't be the first case of its kind to go before the courts. Earlier this year, animal rights activists protested in Duncan, calling for justice for Teddy. The co-accused pleaded guilty in the animal abuse case and are still awaiting sentencing. Sadly, Teddy did not survive. Over here. But Hope's story has a different ending. After receiving round-the-clock treatment and multiple surgeries. One was to close the hole in her trachea, and then the other was to loosen off the scar tissue. She's been adopted by Roberts, one of her caregivers. She went home with me that night, and every night since. A second chance that so many animals need and deserve. If you don't want your dog, there's a million people that do. So just ask. Kylie Stanton, Global News, Victoria. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com system. In Toronto, five teens were wounded last night when gunmen opened fire inside a West End apartment building. The suspects all managed to get away, but not before security cameras captured some of the shocking violence on camera. Jamie Moore. Surveillance footage from the stairwell of an apartment near Black Creek and Trithui Drive captured the moments suspects appeared to open fire, shooting at a group of teens. Within a short period of time of coming into the building, they opened that door and fired directly at those people that were standing in the hallway. The 15-second video taken Wednesday just before 8 p.m. shows at least 16 rounds fired by two gunmen. And they heard bang, 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 bang. In the aftermath, two girls ages 16 and 17 and three boys ages 16 to 18 were injured. 
All are expected to survive. This was definitely targeted based on the evidence that we have. Now, police and residents are worried about retaliation, an all-too-common occurrence in an area that's seen its fair share of violent crime. Uh, that is the second time I heard something like that. This year, Toronto has experienced the highest number of shootings recorded to date, a total of 237 that caused injury or death. Over the past 11 weeks, Toronto police tried to curb the problem by implementing Project Community Space, focusing an increased presence in high-risk areas of the city, something the chief announced he will continue to do, a decision supported by the mayor. We will just have to proceed forward to do the things that we're doing and try and, uh, you know, redouble our efforts to make sure we bring people to justice, that we get guns off the street. That's frustrating. Having had this conversation time and time again, sociologist and gun violence expert Akwazi Wosu Bempa worries officials aren't focusing on the root causes of the issue. So I'm not saying that there's not a role for the police to play, but ultimately there are a number of factors related particularly to social, political and economic marginalization that dr drive uh, young people in particular into situations where they feel that um, carrying a gun and using a gun is appropriate. This, as an area, remains on edge. I kind of feel scared now. I kind of feel like I want to move. Frightened, even in their own homes. Jamie Marocker, Global News. A divided U.S. House has approved the rules for its impeachment inquiry of President Donald Trump. In a near party-line vote, all but two Democrats and no Republicans voted in favor of the rules that will guide a new phase of the probe. That will include televised hearings centered on whether Trump used the power of his office to extract political favors from a foreign power. History on the House floor. Those in favor, please say aye. aye. And a symbolic step forward in the impeachment inquiry as Democrats approve the rules for how to proceed. We recognize that we have been compelled by the circumstances to move forward. The House and the American public must see all the evidence for themselves. What does today's vote mean? That the next phase will play out in public, which matters since made-for-TV testimony could shift public opinion on whether President Trump should be removed from office over whether he tried to trade military aid to Ukraine for political help. So what are the rules? Republicans and Democrats will have more time for questioning, and Republicans can call their own witnesses, but only with Democrats' approval. It's a sad day because nobody comes to Congress to impeach a president of the United States. No one. The vote forced House lawmakers to go on the record. Only two Democrats crossed party lines to vote against the resolution. No Republicans defected, with the White House privately pleased at that show of support. This impeachment is not only an attempt to undo the last election, it is an attempt to influence the next one as well. We are so hurried to impeach this president, we don't really give a darn about the rules. It's not a fair process, it's not an open process, it's not a transparent process. Democrats dismissing those process arguments, saying it's substance that matters. It's about betrayal, it's about corruption, it's about national security. The dramatic moment has only played out two other times in modern presidential history ahead of impeachment proceedings for Presidents Nixon and Clinton. President Trump today blasting what he called the greatest witch hunt in American history. The Democrats are desperate. They're desperate. It's the only way they're going to try and win the election this way because they can't win it the fair way. So what's next? Once those public hearings happen, and there's no timeline for that yet, the Judiciary Committee could draft formal articles of impeachment. 
If the House approves them, the action would shift to the Senate for a trial. Still several steps away, but today, one closer. New wildfires broke out in California, fueled by extremely dry conditions and the region's infamous Santa Ana winds. A brush fire dubbed the Castlewood Fire ignited in Fullerton, California last night, quickly exploding in size to about six and a half hectares, threatening more homes and forcing more evacuations. It was just one of multiple wildfires that erupted overnight. The early morning fires exploded while most were home asleep. From ridgetops to rooftops, the infernos leaping across hillside communities, nearly taking lives. You guys need help? As mandatory evacuations were ordered at 1 a.m. We just, just panicked. The fire was running, coming through our yard and had to go. It was life or death and get out. In a race to save homes and horses, <laughs> the fires surrounding Los Angeles come as exhausted crews work around the clock. Difficult to predict what's going on, you know. With new fires erupting every day, families like the Virtures are on edge, scrambling to safety as flames close in. I'm feeling anxious. I'm, I'm scared to lose my house. I'm, I'm scared of the whole situation. After a quiet start to fire season, the Golden State has turned red, mostly because of powerful winds. There was no stopping it. The wind was just uncontrollable. Like rain to a flood, wind in a fire is the perfect fuel. While homeowners in these hills see soaring views, firefighters see a recipe for disaster. This is a wind tunnel. When those winds hit upwards of 60 to 70 miles an hour, they can carry a small ember from the bottom of this canyon to the top of the ridge in a matter of minutes, if not seconds. With tens of thousands of acres torched statewide, just a matter of days, tonight crews are facing an uphill battle as flames continue to tear into communities below. Miguel Almaguer, NBC News, Simi Valley. In health matters tonight, additional temporary shelters are opening in Vancouver for the winter months. The city of Vancouver and the provincial government say a total of 329 shelter spaces, including 91 reopened temporary beds for the homeless, will be available starting tomorrow. The temporary shelters are meant to provide a warm, dry place to sleep during the coldest, wettest months. And these temporary spaces will remain open every night throughout the winter. Kids who can't leave BC Children's Hospital were still able to enjoy some of the best of the Halloween season. The kids, along with their families, managed to go trick-or-treating this morning at the hospital, grabbing treats from nearly 30 decorated displays and stations. And not all of those treats were edible. We offer both um, treats, store-bought treats, which is one of the restrictions we put in place that they're individually wrapped and safe for these children, but also non-edibles. We have a lot of kids who aren't able to enjoy some of the treats that we might traditionally give, and so we create opportunities here to give a variety of non-edible items as well. Toothbrushes? Heavy rain hasn't stopped trick-or-treaters here on the West Coast, but some in eastern Canada are taking a rain check on Halloween tonight. 40 millimeters of rain and strong winds are forecast for parts of eastern Canada and the U.S. Many municipalities, including Montreal, have rescheduled Halloween events until tomorrow. It's clearly a divisive decision, the debate raging on social media under the hashtag HalloweenGate. Mm -hmm. 
All right, a former British soldier has shattered the record for climbing the world's 14 tallest peaks. And when we say shattered, he beat the previous record for the, by, for the feat by seven years. And along the way, he recorded some remarkable video. Battling high altitude, below zero temperatures, the most challenging mountains in the world. And in the last 24 hours, a hero's welcome. Nirmal Purja, known as Nims, just arriving in Kathmandu after setting a world record many didn't think possible. Nobody believed that this could be done. Here's why. Vertical climbs, unpredictable weather and a gruelling timetable, day and night. It took the previous record holder nearly eight years to summit these peaks in succession. Nims just took on the 14 mountains in six months, six days. Now three more to go. This is Project Possible! At the highest Everest, he even paused to take this picture of a human traffic jam 29,000 feet up, the image going viral. At the base camp of one mountain, he had to double back and climb another to meet a visa deadline. I have to enter the border by tomorrow. Nims trained with mountain rocks, giving up his job in the British Special Forces, including his pension, even selling his house. Turning the seemingly impossible, like crossing this deep crevice, into an adventure he called Project Possible. His positivity as impressive as the 14 peaks. No problem. Mastering terrain and time on top of the world. He even beat his own expectations. He had aimed to do it in seven months. He did it in six months. Keir Simmons, NBC News, London. That's crazy. It really is. Unbelievable. Okay, uh, decent night out there, although a little chilly for all the Halloweeners. We should probably check in with Yvonne right now for a look at the forecast at one of the hauntedest haunted houses in the Lower Mainland. Absolutely, and it's a very busy one. If you're planning on coming down, it is fantastic. And to enter the Haunter House, it is by donation, and all the money is going to Variety, the children's charities, great Halloween costumes, and this is the spot to be. We're at Coquitlam, and we're on Draycott Street. Let's get to your Halloween forecast. You will want to bundle up if you're out this evening. It is very chilly, with temperatures getting close to or hovering the freezing mark as we approach the midnight. Temperatures right now will be sitting anywhere between 4 and 5 degrees across Metro Vancouver. Vancouver for most areas and as we get in towards this evening so it is really going to start to cool off. I think my graphic may be frozen here but we'll continue. So temperatures are sitting anywhere between four or five degrees overnight tonight. It is going to be on the clear side and we will see some fog developing for the morning with the winds very light and then it'll dissipate especially as we get in towards the afternoon for tomorrow. So mostly sunny skies especially throughout the day. Interior areas will also see some bright spots approaching the afternoon and then it's really along the south coast. All areas, especially if you're closer to the water, it will be fog for the morning, followed by some afternoon sunshine. Our five-day forecast across Metro Vancouver, fog dissipating, sunshine for the afternoon. Temperatures will bump up to 11 degrees. It'll be very similar on Saturday. We do have more cloud cover, and that'll be on Sunday. But so far, remaining dry. If you're out for Halloween this evening, have fun all the trick-or-treaters, but do bundle up. It is definitely on the cool side. Back to you guys. Mm -hmm. And a good place to go trick-or-treating out at Vicki Ayer's house in Coquitlam. Raising money for Variety, the children's charity, which is great, as she's always done. All right. Some little guy had a Canucks jersey on there. Well, 
There's well, lots of people wearing Canucks jerseys these yes, days. Yes, and for good reason. They've had a huge October. Mm-hmm. We'll show you some of uh, what happened last night in Los Angeles. The power play was incredible. All right, very quick detour before we get to Squire and Sports. We have some breaking news of a fire that's coming to us from Vancouver's West End. Yeah, Vancouver Fire and Rescue have confirmed they are attending a three-alarm fire in an apartment apartment building, 1111 Beach Avenue. That's Beach and Thurlow, just across the street from the Aquatic Center. Uh, you can see flames uh, pouring from an upper floor suite. It may be in the range of the 16th floor. We're not quite sure, mm-hmm. but uh, it's. Uh, I think there are 30-plus floors in that building. Um, my folks used to live in that building, in fact. There is what we have right now in terms of uh, pictures. It's, that's a live shot of it. Uh, for those who are familiar with the West End, it's the high-rise that has sort of like the curved white balconies right at Beach and Thurlow. So about 10 fire trucks there is what we understand. Uh, flames were shooting out from the suite. We understand that crews may have it under control right now, uh, but we are watching the situation. We'll bring you more um, information as it becomes available. False Creek in the background there. It's right across from the yeah. museum. That building's been there a long time. It's it has. A very yeah. long time. Uh, so we'll follow that one for you right now, though, Squire. It's one of those buildings where you everybody seems to have known someone who lived there. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> um, hopefully everything is uh, under control now. The uh, Canucks are scoring goals like it's the 1980s. Their special teams are both top five in percentages in the NHL. Their goaltending, their defense, all playing well. There really is nothing you can complain about. Even the ones who love to complain are quiet. Now, we don't know if it'll last, but this was a rather fun October. It started with two losses in Alberta, and then the Canucks went 8-1-1 after that. I think since the two losses, Vancouver's had the best record in the NHL. They've scored five goals at least Five goals at least, I should say, in four straight games. And one thing that's made a big difference in their power play is putting Quinn Hughes out with the main guys because now you have a trio of young players, Hughes, Pedersen, Besser, who are quick and they think the game the same. Last night was an example of that. Watch. Hughes at the top, Pedersen on the right, Besser on the left. See how fast they move the puck? There's the shot. That didn't get through. Try it again. Quick, quick, quick. It's a goal. What a pass by Pedersen. Hughes has seven power play assists. I think Pedersen does as well. And again, this was actually Horvat tipping it in. But again, watch the speed. No thinking. Just react. Knox beat L.A. They got Anaheim next. Okay. While the Canucks are doing a lot better than anyone could have predicted, the Vancouver Giants, who were an overtime goal away from winning the Western Hockey League championship last season, are playing below expectations. It's by Byram. It's a 2-1-0. Purple Luck. It's amazing. A Purple Luck. 1-0. It's not the start they were expecting. The Giants, pegged as a Western Hockey League contender at the start of this season, are nearing the quarter pole a game under 500. They played 10 of their first 12 on the road, maybe good for team building, but the lack of practice has hurt. The systems, the structure really wasn't able to really get put in place. Uh, the trip was, you know, we were 500 on the trip, which isn't terrible, but, uh, you know, it just didn't give us the chance to develop our kids to get them to where we need them to be to start the season. We thought we'd be further ahead than we are right now. Um, you know, in saying that, we've got a lot of new faces in our lineup, a lot of younger players. Once we accept that, as a, as a veteran group and our young guys start to come along, which they will, um, I, I think you're going to start to see things pick up. 
There's certainly no panic, not for a team with Bowen Byram and the best goaltending tandem in the Western Hockey League, but it'll take time for their young forwards to get up to speed, especially with other teams gunning for the defending champs. I think the biggest thing is uh, is, is we got to continue to believe in what we have. And, and, and if we believe in what we have, and we do, um, and they believe in each other, they're going to start playing harder for each other. The city of Montreal now knows how Quebec City felt when the Nordiques moved to Denver and won the Stanley Cup as the Colorado Avalanche. The Washington Nationals, of course, were the Montreal Expos. This year, the Nationals at one point were below 500. And then they adopted a children's song as their soundtrack, and everything changed. All this really began this past summer when reserve outfielder Gerardo Parra convinced the team to adopt his two-year-old daughter's favorite song as its anthem. The song was Baby Shark. The idea was so goofy it made the team laugh. They started having fun, got to know each other, and before you know it, they were making all the shark moves. The baby shark clicks, the mama shark claps, the daddy shark chomps. As they started winning, the whole town got crazy. National Symphony Orchestra musicians were playing Baby Shark. The National Cathedral became the National's Cathedral, and every Nats homer brought a dugout dance. Is there a lesson there for all of us? When you relax and get to know the people you work and deal with, it's not only fun, it's much easier to get things done. Toronto FC in Seattle will play for the MLS Cup again, November 10th at CenturyLink, and it'll be the third time they've met for the championship in the last four years. Toronto upset Atlanta last night, proving that spending money in Major League Soccer can work. Toronto is the highest paid team in MLS. It was 1-1, and then Nick, Nick DeLeon scored this goal, and it was brilliant. And DeLeon from distance! Oh, yes. So TFC and Seattle will do battle again. They've each beaten each other once in their previous MLS Cup appearances. How about Steph Curry last night? This is nasty. Oh! Broke a bone in his left hand on that crash to the floor. It's been a painful end to the Warriors' dynasty. Kevin Durant leaves. Clay Thompson's missing a year because of a knee injury. And now there's a Vancouver's Rick Celebrini with him. Broken bone for Steph Curry. Nasty. Back very quickly to that breaking news. An apartment fire in Vancouver's West End. Yeah, Vancouver Fire and Rescue. Tackling a three-alarm fire in the 1100 block of Beach Avenue, Beach and Thurlow. Flames were seen pouring from an upper floor unit, possibly on the 16th floor. We are following the story and we'll have the latest for you tonight on the news at 11. Well, it's the preferred method of going undetected by a certain youthful wizard, but the idea of Harry Potter's invisibility cloak has existed only in fiction until now. That's right. A local company has come up with a way to obscure objects to the naked eye, making them virtually invisible. Ted Chernecki shows us why the technology could be very useful. I'm Guy Kramer, president and CEO of Hyperstealth Biotechnology Corporation. 
When we last spoke to him, he couldn't show us his latest invention. Now that patents are pending, he's revealing all, but there's no hiding from the worldwide media. My Twitter feed is, I've had to turn off the notifications because it, it's just ongoing. I've been requested to speak in uh, the French Alps. I've been requested to go to Madrid. I knew it was going to be big. I didn't expect it to be this big. Since publishing this story two weeks ago, the London Daily Telegraph video has more than two million views. He's on version 13 of his light-bending material, each edition better than the last, and yes, he's 80% sure he'll be able to one day produce a Harry Potter-like invisible cloak. I met with uh, Canada's Tier 1 group, JTF2. I met with uh, SEAL Team 6 four times. I met with Delta Force. If we had a poncho that was a couple inches away, you may be able to hide the, the entire person with that poncho. With the, the lenticular material, we can create a line or, or create a cone, and that's actually made up of a thousand individual laser dots. Another patent involves splitting a single laser light into six million separate beams. It pulses 50,000 to 200,000 times a second. Yeah. So it's like you're sending out that many lasers. Well, now multiply that by 6 million or more, and the resolution that you're going to get back on that image is going to be ultra-high resolution now. That's using similar material to that used in making things disappear. It's mind-bending to think of ways to employ this technology. <laughs> the old trick of putting light under your nose to make you look really scary is so passe because check this out. Imagine when this becomes commercially available, the fun you'd have on Halloween. Ted Chernacki, Global News. Sounded <laughs> a little eerie there. He, he couldn't fool us. All right. Oh. Well, apparently there's a trick now. Oh, look at that. What's going on? It oh, works. We disappeared. Ah, it works. Look what we just invented. Do we get the money for it? Yes, we should. Happy Halloween, everybody.